Hey, everyone. Welcome to the eight. Uh, before we get into the topic today, uh, let me just introduce myself. My name is Michael, and I gave a little bit of my story uh, last week. Um, and I'll touch on it briefly in a little bit. But before we start, we're going to have a little bit of a finance quiz. Originally, I had this online on an app, but uh, I had technical problems, so we're going to do it here. So keep up with your score. We're going to go through nine questions. I think these are fun questions, but I do finance it for a living, so I don't know if you guys will think the same. What percent of Americans can cover a $1,000 emergency from savings? 20? 20? All right. 20. All right, let's see. Um, I'm having trouble here. Forty. Nice guess. Nice guess. All right. What is the average debt per person in the U.S. excluding mortgages? Average debt per person in the U.S. Fifty-four. Fifty-four. Eighty-two. All right. Eighty-two. The average debt is about a twenty-eight thousand dollar car loan. 47,000 of student debt and 7,000 in credit cards. 82,000, okay? Next one. On average, which life event is most expensive? Wedding? The mom staying at home for six months with the baby? I guess not working for those six months? Or your child's first year of college? First year of college? All right. Maybe some of you haven't planned a wedding in a while. Actually, all of these average 21,000. 21,000. Sorry? So the average wedding is about 21,000 in the U.S. Uh, with based on average woman's salary in the U.S., half a year um, is about 21,000. The average cost of college for the first year is about 21000 Okay. Yeah. All right. What is the average stock market return over the last 30 years? 5%, 10%, or 22%? Sorry? 10? Okay. Last 30 years. 10%, okay. Um, how are you guys doing so far? You getting half, most? All right. The average length of recession in the US since World War II? 10 months, 16 months, or 18 months? 16. 10. 10 months is the average recession since uh, World War II. Almost done. In 1981, we had the highest mortgage rates ever. What percent was that? 19%, yep. That should make you feel a little bit better about the, what, 6 7% rates they have now. And, uh, this stat is actually a little dated, 
last time I did the talk, I, I had this question because inflation on average is about 3%, but how much is college inflation for college tuition? None? 8%. So the cost of college year over year grows a lot quicker than average inflation. So for those with young kids, you might want to start saving. And this is to, to help us get grounded on how much interest do we pay on a mortgage. So if you have a 4% interest rate on a $300,000 loan, how much are you paying on interest over the life of the loan? Two sixteen. So that $300,000 house really costs you half a million. All right, I think this is the last one. What is the average age of retirement in the U.S.? The average person retires at the age of 64. Okay. All right. So uh, who got at least five correct? Okay, a couple people. Eight. There were nine questions. How many got all nine right? All right. Well, I hope, I hope you enjoyed, enjoyed that. So last week, we talked about the money mindset. And this week, we're going to spe uh, more specifically talk about God's intention for money. But what is the money mindset? So I'll give you a little bit of my, my story here. And, and for those of you last week that were here last week, uh, you'll, you'll hear it again. Uh, several years ago, I work in corporate finance, and a lot of what I do is around scenario planning and financial modeling. So I did all this, all these things were forecasting net present value, return on uh, investment, and I did it for work. And I thought, well, let me create a tool for myself where I could look at what I can, what, what I need to save for retirement. How do I budget for a car? How do I take care of my kids' uh, college? So. I started just adding more and more into my model, and then I approached Abuna and I said, well, I'd like to do this. I don't want to keep this for myself. Let me help people in the church. And uh, since then, uh, over the last couple of years, I've sat with, you know, over a dozen families uh, to help them start on their journey. If it's getting out of debt, if it's saving, or if it's investing. And during that, I found certain themes, certain mindsets, for myself included, and we'll go into that in a second. But why are we talking about this at the eight? A lot of people feel that money is a taboo subject to talk about in church. But we see even Christ talked about money a lot. 16 of his 36 parables were related to money. And that's because money sometimes is in direct competition with God. And I talked last week about we end up working eight, nine, ten hours a day to make money, and then we spend our evenings spending money, eating out, buying groceries, watching Netflix, sitting in an air-conditioned or heated room, and you're, you're paying money for that, for, for, uh, for, that, uh, for that environment. So we're constantly either making or spending money. So yes, it does make sense that Christ talked about money a lot, and, and that's why it's important for us to discuss it here at the eight. So these are the topics we discussed last week. Sometimes these are the money mindsets. The first one is turning a blind eye. We talked about how sometimes we do turn a blind eye because we're uncomfortable talking and um, thinking about money. 
And we talked about hopelessness. Sometimes money would, will pull to put us in a hopeless situation. Either we, we, we don't understand it or we've dug ourselves in a deep hole and we don't know how to get out of it. It does make us feel hopeless. And then inconspicuous greed. And I talked about how originally I put greed and then I went back and uh, put inconspicuous greed because greed, it's sneaky. It's not obvious because if we, I asked who here is greedy, nobody would raise their hand. But sometimes we have some greedy ten tendencies. And today we're going to talk about God's intent for money. But this was the conclusion that we had last, last week. Um, we want to go from turning a blind eye to planning with a purpose, from a hopeless uh, scenario to placing our hope in God and not in money, and then going from be having this inconspicuous greed to being mindful and generous. So the first rule we want to have about our money is money is a tool. Money is a tool. It could help us do things. It can help us build shelters, our home. It could feed the hungry, which is ourselves, our family. It provides security. It manages emergencies. It gives education for our kids or others, um, and it helps others. So money is a good tool. Oftentimes we think of that verse of money is the root of all evil. But it can be. It just depends if money is your master or your servant. And that brings us to this quote here that I really like. Money is a terrible master, but an excellent servant. If it's our master, money will corrupt us. And it will make us feel hopeless. And it can make us feel greedy like we talked about last week. But if it's our servant, it can take care of you. It could serve you. It could take care of your family. It could take care of yourself. It can take care of your needs. And it can take care of others. So this is something that I hope resonates. Money is a terrible master, but an excellent service. So rather than me tell you about money, let's look at Christ's words. These are, we're going to cover three um, uh, stories uh, in the Bible. The first one is the parable of the talents. And so we'll go through that and then we'll see what we get out of it. All right. A man traveling to a far country called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Oftentimes when we read about, uh, read this parable, we think, okay, well, God's, or at least the way I thought of it is, God is talking here about our talents, like our skill sets, right? God gives each one of us a different talent. Some with a great voice, so they could, you know, sing in the church or make music. Uh, some have carpentry, carpentry skills and they could help us build churches. Some are good with money and they could help serve the church in other ways. So each one to his own abilities and we're asked to invest that. But we could also say have the same mindset here with with money. Then he let's continue. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise he who had two gained two more also. And he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. 
So here we see the idea of investing. Here they're investing in a trade. And when investing in the trade, there was a return. But they did so wisely. We see the one with the five talents and the one with the two invested wisely and they got a return. But then there was one who was unwise with their money. And we'll talk about that a little bit more here in a second. We continue. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And the same with he who had received two talents. Well done, because he was faithful. He was loyal. He was committed. He was not short-sighted and unwise. This brings us to the point we talked about last week, about purposeful planning. If we are purposeful in our planning, allowing us to use money as a tool, we will hear that good and faithful servant. But for the other, then he who had received one talent came and said, I was afraid and hid your talent to the ground, in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. And it goes on. So we see the first ones, the good and faithful. And then here we see the wicked and lazy. This person probably didn't think he was wicked. He probably thought he was lazy. He was lazy in what God had entrusted him with lazy with the money, but we could also be lazy in the other gifts that God has given us. If you are that great singer or great carpenter or whomever, and you keep that talent to yourself and you don't showcase it to the world because God has given it to you not to be selfish with it, but to do something with it. So we don't want to be lazy and then be accused of being wicked and lazy because we didn't use that talent. So the first takeaway from the parable of the talent is don't be wicked and lazy. You've been entrusted with a gift. Use it. The gift is a talent, an actual talent, or it could be money. Second, be a good and faithful servant, planning with a purpose. Be purposeful with that talent that you got, whatever it could be, money or not. There was a story. Uh, as many of you know, there's a lot of people at Amplify this week. Um, uh, Father Abraham uh, Pham uh, talked to us about a story that kind of stuck with me. It was about this photographer. He took a famous picture um, called The Vulture and the Little Girl. And the photographer was in Sudan, war-torn Sudan, and there was this picture of a child hunched over, looked like he was dying in the desert. And from what I understand, the, mild, the, the, the child was very close to like uh, some kind of uh, food center to get some food and care. And in the background of the picture, there's a vulture. Vultures there waiting, waiting to, you know, for this child to die and maybe take it. And so when I think, so what ended up happening with the photographer, he came back to the U.S. He was given all these awards. I think, uh, um, um, gosh, what's it called? Um, so some high award in his industry. And he became very depressed. 
because he took the picture of the child, but he didn't do anything. It reminded me of this wicked and lazy. He probably didn't think he was wicked. He might have been lazy, but maybe he thought it was just his job to be a photographer there, but not to contribute to what he was seeing. So he ended up committing suicide shortly after he won uh, this award uh, for the picture. Uh, it came out later that uh, the father uh, identified the child as, as his several years, and he did say that the child did make it uh, to that. But the, the image, the picture was very powerful. So again, he had a talent. He was placed in a place. He could have done something about it, and it killed him that he didn't. So again, it just made me think of of, of this, this parable. The second one, what does Christ, or sorry, Jesus counsels the rich young ruler. So let's read from Matthew 19. Now behold, one came and said to him, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may inherit, may have eternal life? What good thing shall I do? He was a little bit, we know how the story ends, and we'll see it in here in a second, because he walked away upset. But we could see from the beginning, he said, what can I do? What, what good things can I do? It was kind of self-centered. It was kind of selfish. Imagine, a pr this is when he approached Christ, and there's people around. He didn't talk about, how can I lead my family to salvation? Or how can I be a ruler to bring them close to God? It was selfish. What good thing shall I do so that I could have eternal life? Not what my heart should strive for. So it almost felt like he wanted a checklist. So he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And then again, we see the rich young ruler. Which ones? Be specific. I want to make sure I get into heaven. So give me that checklist. I want to make sure I check the box for everything. Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, okay, all these things I've kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Okay, so you told me, okay, love, you know, love my parents, don't steal, check, check, check. Is there anything else? Is there anything else I need to do? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Imagine meeting Christ and walking away sorrowful. How can we meet Christ and come back, leave depressed? And I think that's where the answer to this parable is. He went in looking for that checklist. He went in with a selfish request, and he asked, what's the bare minimum I can do to get into heaven? All right, check, 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 check. Okay, is there anything else? Oh, okay, you know, that last one's a little tough. His heart was more attached to his wealth than it was to God. 
So it's not so it's not that we're called to sell everything we have. No, it's for us to give God our whole heart. But let's see what uh, St. Clement of Alexandria says. Christ does not, as some conceive offhand, bid him to throw away the substance he possessed. No, th that's not what Christ is asking. And, and, and to abandon his property. But he bids him banish from his soul his notion about wealth, his excitement and morbid feeling about it, the anxieties which are the thorns of existence, which choke the seed of life. For it is no great thing or desirable to be destitute of wealth. It's not what we're striving for to be to lack wealth. No, it's the way we feel about wealth. So the takeaway from from this story about the rich man is be mindful of how you think of money. Is it a master of yours or is it a servant of yours? Does it burn you out? Does it take you away from God? Does it play with your emotions? Or is it a tool that takes care of your family and serves others? Someone uh, mentioned, would you stay in a bad job because it pays you really well? Or would you stay in a bad job because you know there's a big bonus coming? And it, it helped me uh, reflect a little bit about, about my job. If it's the type of job that takes you away from God and burns you out, maybe there should be, you should reconsider, rethink the way you're thinking of the relationship between your job and your money and your relationship with God. The last one, rich man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. This man lived in luxury every day. And you could imagine, every now and then, he leaves his, his home. And as he's leaving his home, he exits the gate, and the beggar is right there. Not just someone, not someone actually begging for money, but someone who's just laying there, covered in sores. He's not just poor. He's not just sick. But these sores that have that have been painful for him to the point where he can't even push away the dogs that are coming to lick his sores so we see how high of a position this rich man is and how poor of a position um, Lazarus is the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side the rich man also died and was buried in Hades where he was in torment he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he's, in com he's comforted here and you are in agony. He later goes on and tells him, uh, the, the rich man say, well, let me go back and tell my brothers. Let me warn them. Let me tell them what is to come if they don't change their ways. But it was too late for them. So what can we take away from this? 
Sometimes God might put something right in front of us, at the front of our gate. In this case, it was the poor man at the rich man's gate. This was Lazarus at the rich man's gate. And we have to ask ourselves, what is it that God's putting in front of us? And if it doesn't easily come to mind, then maybe we need to self-reflect a little bit more, be more aware, be more mindful of what God is putting at that gate for us. St. John Chrysostom says, the rich exist for the sake of the poor. That kind of makes sense. The rich are there. They could help the poor. The poor exist for the salvation of the rich. And that one we might have to think a little bit more of. But the poor exist so that the rich can do something for the poor. St. John Chrysostom has a book, uh, a, a set of sermons called On Wealth and Poverty, where he talks about uh, Lazarus and the rich man for seven uh, sessions in a row. So let's read what he says here. Let us learn from this man not to call the rich lucky nor the poor unfortunate. Rather, if we are to tell the truth, the rich man is not the one who has collected many possessions, but the rich man is the one who needs few possessions. And the poor man is not the one who has no possessions. No, the poor man is the one who has many desires. So the rich man, the true rich person, is the one who has um, a need of few possessions, and the poor person is who has many desires. That's how we should define wealth and poverty. And he continues, So, if you see someone greedy for many things, you should consider him the poorest of all, even if he has acquired everyone's money. If, on the other hand, you see someone with few needs, you should count him the richest of all, even if he has acquired nothing. So what we take away from this last topic, or this last story, is we need to be intentional. Keep your eyes open to see what God has put at the gate in front of you. And also we're called to be generous. Not by the size of the gift, but the size of the sacrifice. So God isn't looking for us to write a check for $1,000. But he is looking for us to take that extra mile to buy someone a $5 meal. The size of the sacrifice, not the size of the check. So if we sum it all up, we see the story of the wicked and lazy servant, and we're called to a purposeful use of our talents. We see the rich young ruler's love of money, and we are reminded to be mindful and to use that money as a tool. And the last one, selfishness. We're called to be intentional and to be generous with what we have. Okay. So the last uh, slide I have here, there is a new service coming to St. Mark soon uh, where it will be more of a formalized financial coaching service. Uh, so uh, more to come on that, but I did want to put that out there for anyone who, who is interested uh, in uh, participating in that. Okay? So with that, uh, we could stand for prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen.
We thank you, Lord, for the many blessings in our life, and we ask you, Lord, to please forgive us for taking those blessings for granted. We ask you, Lord, to please help us learn from these lessons that you've given us today. Help us be like the wise servants, the ones that you blessed, and help us take the wicked and evil thoughts that we have, might have associated with money, take them away from us. Lord, help us be more selfless in what we do for you in all our services. Through the intercessions of St. Mary and St. Mark, please hear us when we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven.